And it's just now 11, so I guess I got an hour. Is that right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just serious. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. I, I got to be honest. I, I prayed a lot and fretted a lot and was anxious about today. I mean, not because... We, we're worshiping the same God. We got the same gospel. We got the same Jesus. We're the same people as we were last week. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at all of this, you know, that God would do such a work among us. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, it is pretty and it is good and it is beautiful. I'm not talking about the building at all. <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that for 22 weeks, we've seen this construction going on. We've met in the gym. We've moved places around, Sunday school classes around. We've had all kind of discomfort. We've had all kind of hindrance. We've had all kind of stuff. And we stayed together. We stayed united. We stayed loving one another. That's a whole lot bigger miracle than a big old brick wall out front. God's good. God is good. Last week, before we moved into this space, we reviewed our mission in Matthew chapter 28, verses that you, we read earlier, make disciples. Before Jesus ascended, he gave his marching orders to the church, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we saw that this is our mission as a church. It's also our mission as individual believers. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, that is your mission. Now, the way you do it may look a little different than me, than mine, because I'm, I'm a preacher. You might be an electrician or work at, in airplane manufacturing or whatever. So you make disciples in a different venue, in a different way. But we're all called to make disciples. So how do we do that? That's the question today. Because honestly, as we go forward, you know, everybody wants a vision for the future. Future. I just want, I just want a vision for who we're going to be, no matter what the future holds. And so how do we do that? How do we make disciples? That word discipleship it is so abstract. I mean, what does it actually mean to disciple one another and to be discipled by others? Discipleship is not a, a destination that we reach like one day in this life. Well, I finally graduated and I'm a full-fledged graduated disciple. No, it's, it's a direction that we walk all throughout this life. And we graduate when we get to leave this life or Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. And at First Baptist Church, our vision, vision for discipleship... It's given in these three big categories. You've probably heard them before. Worship, connect, and serve. It comes from the early church's activity in Acts chapter 2. So that's the text that we're going to look at today. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Let's read it together. It says this. And they, talking about the church there in, in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, to, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would bless your word today, God. I thank you for this opportunity to to just be part of this body, in this place, at this time. God, you have blessed me so immensely with, with these people. God, I thank you. And I pray, God, that you would use this word to grow us. Show us who we're going to be. God, show us what you would have us to do here, in this place, in this time. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends upon the believers on the day of Pentecost. And as Jews from all over the world are in Jerusalem for the festival, filled with the Spirit, Peter stands up and he preaches in Acts chapter 2 this this powerful sermon filled with, with citations from the Old Testament, laying out the case that Jesus is the Messiah, raised from the dead. He's the sacrifice that atones for sin, the Redeemer who has brought salvation. And all of these Jewish pilgrims in Jerusalem, there for Pentecost, it says they were convicted in their heart. And they asked Peter this question, what must we do? And Peter answered, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, verse 41, one verse before the section we read, it says 3,000 people came to know the Lord, were saved. God's Spirit worked through His Word, and the church grew exponentially in the blink of an eye. Now take a minute and think about this situation. In Acts 1, there were 120 believers, 120 disciples. There was 120, and now there's 3,120. And these 120 believers, under the leadership of the the apostles, are supposed to disciple 3,000 people. And if you keep turning and keep reading, there's another 2,000. And it just kept on growing as the days went by. The logistics of discipling that many people, for us who are real program-oriented, let's get a method, let's get a program, let's, that's enormous. It's enormous to be able to do How would you even begin to disciple that many people? Well, Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, the text we read, we see how the New Testament church made disciples. Our normal practice is to preach verse by verse. And I got to tell you, I'm missing that. I want to get back to it. We're going to start the book of Hebrews um, in about five weeks. But today I want to look at this section and we're going to talk about worship, connect, serve for the next several weeks. And I'm going to lift out the big elements of the early church's practice. What they did in these verses that we just read falls under the three categories, worshiping, connecting and discipling relationships, and serving. So I want you to see this disciple-making church was first, it was a worshiping church. 
In verse 42 and verse 46 and 7, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then in 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. One of the things that marked the early church was its worship. Worship was central to the early church. In in this text, worship and praise and thanksgiving inhabit all that the church does. In this entire text, not just what's on the screen. So so what is worship? I mean, at its its most basic level, worship is the adoration and praise of God. It's ascribing worth and glory and honor to God, delighting in God, praising God, giving thanks to God, presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Worship is what God himself desires. In John chapter 4, Jesus and the woman at the well, he says the Father himself is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is what we were designed for. It's what you were made for. Notice how the early church worshiped. First, they worshiped together. Corporately, Verse 46 says, day by day, they were attending the temple together. The whole church together. When it says they were attending the temple, they weren't participating in the sacrifices. In the first six chapters of Acts, the church gathered in the outer court. It was called Solomon's Portico that, under what, that they met. And they listened to the apostles preach and teach. They also gathered there during the times of prayer. God's people gathering together to worship is the pattern of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word church means assembly. That's what it means. Gathering together for worship is a picture of heaven, of the new heavens and the new earth. God's people together worshiping before the throne. A few weeks ago, we looked at the end of Revelation. When all things are made new, it said, and his servants will worship him. In verse 42, the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching as they heard it day by day. And it also says they were devoting themselves, look at it, to the fellowship. Notice it doesn't say fellowship. I mean, they were devoted to fellowship. We'll see that in, in a moment. But it says they were devoting themselves to the fellowship, the assembly of believers. They were the local church in the city of Jerusalem. And they were the worldwide church as well. There, were no, there was no church anywhere else. In those early days, the whole worldwide body of Christ was located in one place, Jerusalem. So often when you think of the word church, you think of the invisible worldwide body of Christ, many of whom, you know, people will never meet until we get to heaven, till the new heavens, the new earth. And the Bible does use the word that way, of course it does. But the vast majority of the uses of the word church in the New Testament refer to the local body of believers together in a city or a location. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul calls the local church the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Listen, God's not left us ignorant either about what he desires to happen when the church gathers for worship. In the New Testament, we see commands for the church to listen to preaching and teaching, to baptize believers, to share the Lord's Supper, to encourage one another, to uh, praise God and encourage one another in singing, to give tithes and offerings. The disciple-making church is a church that is worshiping together. A growing disciple is one who is worshiping together with God's people. 
But that's not all that worship is. Worship is also a way of life. A life worshiping God is one that is steeped in one's own private worship. Your personal time with God, devotions to God. It says in this text that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers. They were devoting themselves to it. They were meditating on the word, growing in the word, walking out the word of the apostles. They were investing themselves in the word. They were devoting themselves to it. They devoted themselves to the prayers, both in the prayer times in the temple and in their homes, communing with God through their prayers. And they grew in relationship with Christ. Worship includes our private life of devotion, being in the Word, praying, communing with God in prayer, a spiritual lifestyle of communing with God in dependence upon Him through the Word, through prayer, through spiritual disciplines. And in doing so, we also praise God with a thankful heart, both together as a body and individually as believers. Listen, there is no discipleship, no growth without dependence upon God, feeding on His Word, communing with Him in prayer, lifting our hearts in thanksgiving to Him. Our private, personal worship is how we sow to the Spirit. We talked about that as we walked through the book of Galatians. So the early church was a worshiping church. They made disciples of all of these people, first by gathering together to worship God, devoting themselves to the word and to prayers. They praised God with thankful hearts. And in this same text, you also see that they were a connected church. In this same text, it didn't, didn't just say that they met formally in the temple. They also met in smaller groups in their homes. You see it? Verse 46, day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. In verse 42, we're told that they devoted themselves also to the breaking of bread in their homes. This is both a reference to the Lord's Supper, but also to table fellowship that they were having in their homes. The idea of table fellowship in the first century was, is a very big deal. Demonstrated a fellowship, a togetherness, a support of one another. That's why the Jews got so mad, the Jewish leaders got so mad when Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners and things. He was, in their view, supporting them, having table fellowship with them. So the church was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer in the temple, but also in smaller groups in their home. The church was now way too big for all the needs to be taken care of by just the apostles. For all the people to be discipled strictly by the apostles. It was necessary for them to gather themselves in their homes as well. They were discipling one another in smaller groups. Listen, if we take Jesus as our model, the master disciple maker, the pattern becomes clear as to what he actually meant when he said, go and make disciples. Jesus took a small group of men and he shared his life with them. He poured himself into them, showing them how to walk in the way. He taught them personally and intimately. He intentionally invested into them in order to raise them up so that they would pour their lives into others. And that's exactly what Barnabas did with Paul. We walk through the book of Acts as well. After Paul's conversion, Barnabas took him under his wing, traveled with him, shared life with him, shared his ministry with him. This is also what Paul commands Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says to intentionally seek out and disciple men who would turn and disciple others. 
The disciple-making church is marked by being connected to one another in these discipling relationships. You and I were made to grow and thrive in community. And you can't grow in Christ in isolation. I don't care who you are. You cannot make disciples. You cannot help others grow without doing so in relationship. Almost 50 times in the New Testament, the church is given what we call the one another commands. Bear one another's burdens. Love one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. All the one, all the one another commands in the New Testament show us that we are to live a life of one another. It isn't just, hey, if somebody happens to fall in your lap, go on and encourage them. That's not what he means. It's a life of loving one another. A life of building one another up. We're called to bear one another's burdens. You can't do that without being in relationship with one another. And discipling relationships, what we're talking about here, it isn't just being sociable either. It's not just being together. That's not, that's not the sum total of it. Discipling relationships are relationships that are built around intimate, accountable fellowship, intentionally helping one another observe everything that Jesus has commanded. They aren't just Bible studies and they aren't just potlucks, although I do love a good potluck. (laughs) And they're not just a master teacher coming along to help some novice figure it all out. That's not it either. These relationships are disciples helping each other wrestle with transformational issues. It's taking one another by the hand and helping each other apply the Word of God to our lives. These relationships are disciples that are holding one another accountable, helping one another fight against their sin. Disciples encouraging one another by helping them apply Jesus' promises to their lives. And it must be intentional. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. We all know this verse. Most time it's quoted uh, about the neglecting to meet together. But I want you to look at verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look what it says in verse 24. Let us consider, let us think, let us be intentional about how we can stir one another up to love and good works. Together is how we grow in the Lord. Together is how we disciple one another. Now right now I know what you're thinking. I mean I'm not a prophet but it's what I would be thinking. Yeah, but that's just one more thing that's added to my schedule. I'm already busy. I'm already having a hard time trying to keep everything going. Plus, plus, if I put myself out there investing in other people and having other people invest in me, it makes me vulnerable. I'm liable to get hurt. Sinners hurt other sinners. It's a fact. I'm going to get sucked into somebody else's mess, drawn into... All these problems when I've got my own problems. No, I get it. (laughs) I really get it. I fight that just like everybody else does. But this is how God has designed his church. It's how God has designed his church to make disciples. 
It's what Christ commissioned us to do, both as a body and as individuals. It's his command. We did it last week, Matthew 28. Make disciples. That's what Christ commanded you to do if you're a believer. Make disciples. And together is how we also grow ourselves in the Lord, in communities, how we were created. Left alone in isolation, we will always go backward. Always. We'll always grow cold to the things of the Lord. We'll always grow indifferent to the things of the Lord. We'll always grow indifferent in our walk with the Lord. To make disciples, we've got to be connected. We have to be connected in discipling relationships. And you're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. The next thing is that this church was a serving church. In verse 44 and 45, those two verses that were in between the other two, says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is not a picture of socialism or communalism or communism or any other ism. And anybody who says that is basically saying to you, I don't know how to read my Bible. Will you please help me? (laughs) This is not believers having to sell everything and put it in one big pot in order to be in the church. We just read they were breaking bread in their homes. They still had homes. It says they were selling, imperfect tense, meaning a continuous action in the past. It was an ongoing practice for them to sell their belongings. But notice why they were selling their belongings. As any had need. What you see here is simply the love and generosity and service of the early church. They served one another to meet each other's needs. They were bearing one another's burden sacrificially, even if it meant selling some of their possessions. But serving isn't just about giving your stuff away. Every single believer, no matter who you are, no matter what you materially own, if you are a believer in Christ, without exception, you are given spiritual gifts to serve in the church. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're to serve one another with our gifts. Jesus also told the disciples explicitly that they were to serve one another. As he washed their feet in John chapter 13, verse 15, he said, I have given you an example that you should do for one another as I have done to you. We serve in the church, one another. But that's not all. We don't just serve in the church. We also serve in whatever community God has placed us in. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. We're called to show the love of Christ to those that are around us in acts of service. And... We are called to serve the kingdom of Christ as we evangelize the lost and make disciples of all nations. We're to go and serve Christ by sharing the gospel, by sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers and our schoolmates and all of those that are around us. We are to take every opportunity to share the good news of Christ's salvation. 
serving in this big way, serving each other, serving in the community, serving the world in evangelism, missions, it grows us as disciples. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip, a short-term mission trip, and you come back and you thought, man, I got way more out of that. I've grown way more from that than I, even the people I was helping. Man, I got such a blessing. I don't know how blessed I, wa I, I was to them, but man, God did a work in me. Serving grows us as disciples, and it leads us to make disciples as God's kingdom advances. And service is not... Most often, it's not just grand and noble tasks. Most often, it's hard, it's sacrificial, and it's going to go unrecognized by most people. So our service must be to others for Christ's sake. Jesus told Peter, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. He said, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Listen, our service must be to others for Christ's sake. Only he can empower our service as we depend upon him. That is what the disciple-making church looked like. How did they make disciples out of 3,000 people all of a sudden, just like that, with thousands being added? They made disciples by living lives of worshiping together and in their homes, by connecting in discipling relationships, helping each other follow Christ as the apostles taught them based on the word, and serving one another for Christ's name. That's how they made disciples out of all of these people that flooded into the early church. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make disciples and we're going to grow as disciples as we worship, as we connect, and we serve together. I've basically just given you a brief overview of what worship, connect, and serve means. Over the next several weeks, we're going to dive deeper into each one of those categories. But what I want you to see today is finally that they were a worshiping church, they were a connected church, they were serving, and they were also a growing church. That last part of verse 47 said, And the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. As they made disciples and grew as disciples, it says the Lord added to their number. God saved many souls and brought them into the disciple-making church. you see it? He added to their number. Notice that those who were being saved were added to those who are worshiping together, connecting together, serving together. And this disciple-making church, this disciple-making church here in Acts chapter 2 turned the whole world upside down. Over the next four weeks, we're going to show you what it means to worship, connect, serve more fully from Scripture. This is what growing disciple-making churches look like. This is what growing disciples look like. They're worshiping, they're together, worshiping together, worshiping in private, worshiping in their life, their private life. They're connected in discipling relationships, helping one another follow Jesus, helping one another observe all that Jesus commanded. And they're serving the kingdom of Christ in their church, in their community, and in the world. That's who we're called to be. That's who we're going to be. But before we do any of that, 
Make sure you understand you cannot worship, connect, serve your way into the kingdom of God. You can't say today, you know, that short little guy, he talks good and he's got a good point. I'm just going to do better and God's going to accept me. No. No. You cannot worship, connect, serve your way into the kingdom. There's only one way to be added to that number. It's to be added by the Lord through salvation. By trusting in Jesus Christ alone that he died for my sin. That my sin makes me unacceptable before God. That my sin, every breach of God's law that I have ever committed in my life and will ever commit in my life has separated me from my God because he is perfect and holy and no sin enters into his presence and there is nothing I can do about it. I can't be better, I can't act better, I can't do better and if I started today as if it were possible and never sinned again, it wouldn't matter. I still have to pay for the sin that I've already committed and I cannot make up for not one single sin with a whole lifetime of good works. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to cast my sin upon the only payment that has been offered Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and I'm going to trust that he died for my sin and I'm going to believe with all that I am and the best that I know how I'm going to trust that he paid for my penalty and in him I am clean I am declared righteous and because he has risen from the grave death and sin and all of the things of my flesh are now defeated and I can stand before God clean and perfect and holy not because in my practice and in my life I am clean and perfect and holy I'm still not but Jesus is holy and I'm united to him by grace through faith alone you can't worship connect serve your way into the kingdom to be right with God but you can call out to a savior who is willing to save who died on the cross for you, who gave his life, and who rose from the grave to give you life. And you call upon him, trust in him, and he will save you. Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ today. Trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for who you have made us in Christ. We know that we are still sinners. We know that practically in our daily lives, we still sin. God, we war against our sin. We hate our sin because the Spirit dwells in us. But God, we don't walk around in despair. We come boldly to the throne of grace because we have, we have an advocate with the Father. God, we thank you for the blood that washes away our sin. We thank you for the truth that we are free, free in the gospel. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would call upon their heart, that you would draw them to you, that you would show them, show them the cross and the sacrifice that you gave in giving your son to die on the cross for us, the only way of salvation. God, I pray that you would move hearts to call out upon you today, that they would trust in you. 
that they would entrust their life to you. That you would save souls today. Help us to be a disciple-making church. To stay on mission. Thank you for your glorious work among us. God, please continue to add to our number. For we desire souls to be saved. We desire disciples to grow and to go out into the world. God, we desire you, the work of your kingdom here at this station where you have placed us. Move amongst us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, I'm going to be right down here at the front. If you want to come, I'd love to pray with you. Will you stand with me?